All right, we're live. Maddie just literally rushed in the door, rushing back from Mardi Gras, and uh, no voice, and has no voice, and is all messed up. But she's happy. She's in her spot, taking notes, and um, happy to have you guys here. Uh, we're going to talk about advanced uses of Botox, but before we do, uh, I just wanted to take uh, a minute to have a moment of silence for the disaster happening in Ukraine, uh, the loss of lives and families and all the destruction going on. So um, I'm gonna just stop talking for a few minutes. Everybody just focus some positive energy on Ukraine and do anything you can to help. We wish them the best and we wish that we could get Russia out of there and to leave those people alone. But anyway, tonight we're talking about Botox. This is, after all, the 20th anniversary of Botox. It was FDA approved for, remember, we're talking about Botox cosmetic, not about Botox Botox, because that's for medical use. And that's been around for a lot longer than that. Uh, does anyone out there, hey, Austin, you're early tonight. Like, what's going on here? I don't think that's ever happened before. Um, anyone know the difference between Botox and uh, Botox Cosmetic? Because we're really talking about Botox Cosmetic uh, for cosmetic purposes. Um, and that's been around for 20 years. 2002 was its first FDA approval. And remember, it was first approved just for use in the glabella, right? And then they added forehead and crow's feet. But those are really the only three on-label indications for Botox. The other products, just port Zeman, uh, Juveau, only have FDA approval. Hello, Tracy. Hello, Sid Lambert. We're getting all our, our posse members back this week. Uh, sorry I was away last week. I was down in Florida catching some 85 degree weather and um, struggling to come back. But no, I'm here. I'm here for you guys always. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed Brittany last week. But since it's been approved in 2002, it has added those two other indications. And the other four, three neurotoxins don't have any other indications except for glabella, which is fine, you know, because they're all FDA approved products. And you can use them anywhere the physician sees fit for that, but you have to have specific orders. And it's important just to realize, like, when you go outside of those three areas, the glabella, the forehead, or the crow's feet, you are, in fact, you know, injecting um, off-label, right? You, those are off-label indications. And not a big deal, but some people actually put it in their consent form so that, that there's no communication errors with patients and it's understood that these are acceptable areas. And we'll talk a little bit about like what's acceptable and what's not. Um, but the question I asked earlier, what's the difference between Botox and Botox Cosmetic? Because we use Botox Cosmetic right, for all our aesthetic purposes. And really there's no difference. Um, it's, it's the same molecule, it's the same product, but it's marketed differently and used differently. So Botox Cosmetic is just for the treatment of lines and wrinkles, right? Botox um, non-cosmetic is used for all kinds of things, you know, uh, uh, torticollis, spastic hemiplegia, um, hyperhidrosis, uh, you know, any, all of the other kinds of things. Uh, so it's important just to get our terms straight. Hello, Saiton, good to see you again. Um, Julia, thanks for, for joining. So, this being the 20th anniversary of Botox Cosmetic, you notice I'm always saying Botox Cosmetic because Botox, Botox was around long before that. I remember using it in the you know, late 1990s and, and, and even before that. 
And, and if you look at the history of Botox, you'll see it's been around since the 1960s in some fashion and really has only become crazy, you know, the past 20 years. So in 20 years, it's gone from zero to where it is today, which is a lot. And don't, don't be surprised if you see within the next year or so some new indications, some new on-label indications. And I'm going to predict we're going to see masseter and we're going to see platysmal bands uh, before too long. That's my prediction. And I guess at the end of the year, we have to pull out my predictions for 2022. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the predictions we talked about that seems to be coming true is that lips are coming back to normal, that people are getting away from the crazy lips and the huge lips, and they're realizing that they're being overdone. And I think we're moving back from fillers because we realize we're overfilling and, uh, you know, distorting people and we forget what normal looks like. And my position has always been, if you look at someone and go, oh, you know, it looks like you've got some nice fillers in your cheeks or gee, your lips were just done recently. I can, I mean, that means that, that that's too much. Like if someone looks at you and can tell you had filler and can see where it is and you know, that's too much. To me, that's too much. That's not a natural look. Cause when you see someone who's beautiful and natural, you don't go, gee, like she looks so beautiful. I wonder how much filler she has in her cheeks or gee, she looks, her lips look so good. I wonder how, you don't do that. You just it never, it sort of never occurs to you that someone has fillers. They just look beautiful, right? For whatever, whatever they present with, the package they're presenting you with is a beautiful package. And, and natural beauty is by far the best, and in my mind, the only beauty that we should be striving to achieve. The Lip Lord joined us. Oh my God. Thank you for joining us, Lip Lord. Um, Hopefully you're you're seeing some of the regression in lip size uh, that people have been talking about. We're moving back toward middle. There was this one meme where they're showing this woman who's just hysterically crying. She's like, I waited three months for my you know filler appointment and only to have the injector tell me I don't need any more filler on my lip. And she's just distraught. And we had a couple of patients like that this week where we we're just like, you don't, you don't need any more. And this was a cheek patient and a lip patient. We were just, and they, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I think in some ways they were relieved. They were just relieved that um, they didn't need any more because, you know, patients lose track. It's that morphing that we talk about where, you know, we had that whole show on like, what is morphing and what's happening? What is dysmorphic, you know, pathology? And um, these patients can't see it because it happens a little at a time, little at a time, little at a time. It goes up and down, up and down. You gradually walk them up the slope and then they fall off the cliff and they look they look terrible. You know, a little bit underdone is better than even a little bit overdone. And a little bit overdone when everyone's like, oh my God, look at those cheeks or lips. Uh, to me, it's a problem. I think we're, we're sort of creating monsters. But anyway, let's talk about the subject at hand, which is the advanced use of, of Botox. And you know, I think our specialty at our school, Aesthetic Mentor, uh, you can check out the link in our bio. We have um, classes on pretty much everything. But our really, our really sort of most introductory course, we taught Cadaver yesterday uh, for the whole day. It was a delightful class. Um, we did a lot of really good things and the class just loved it. And it was the first time I never really got through my entire presentation because we were talking so much. It was so, it was so engaging and it was like really one of my favorite classes. And I, I do teach the Cadaver class with Dr. Murray. And I, I just look forward to it every time because it's it's like it's mind it's it's some way in ways life changing for some of these uh, students and in some way mind changing because it changes the way they look at the world when you start seeing uh, a real three dimensional representation of the anatomy, which um, is there's no other way to do it except to look at cadavers and, and, and see where you're injecting. But when we start teaching patients, our very first course is introduction to neurotoxins, right? 
And I realize how critically important it is for people to get off on a good foot. Because if you have a complication early on, ptosis or asymmetries or you, know, you drop someone's brow or eyelid, it's really difficult. It, it can really shatter the individual's experience. And when that happens, they may just think to themselves, you know, this isn't for me or it really sets them back. So we try to talk about dosing in a way that makes it comfortable for the patient, comfortable for the injector. And in any, if we sort of move one way or the other, we always try to get them to be more conservative with their injections. Because you know what? When you see them back at the two-week mark, which we encourage all of our students and injectors to do, um, if they're a little undercorrected, that's an easy problem to fix, right? You just give them a little more. And if they're overcorrected and you've created ptosis of some sort or asymmetry or, you know, really overdone it, um, you can't really fix it, right? As one of my students said, you can't unring the bell, right? You can, in surgery, we always say you can cut more, but you can't put it back, right? You can always take more skin or whatever it is. So we urge them to be conservative and to share that with the patients. Like, hey, you know, I haven't injected you before and I don't want to you know, drop your brow because that's something we can't fix. We have to just let it wear off. So I'm going to just be conservative since I haven't treated you before. And we'll see you back in two weeks. And, you know, at that point, if it looks great, you know, we're all both happy. If you need a little more, you know, I'm happy to do that for you. But I want to be careful with you and create a result that's going to be pleasing to you. I don't want to overdo it, drop your brow or drop your lid and have you be upset and, you know, lose you with the patient. I think being honest with patients is, is probably one of the most important things you can do. Just be directly honest with them and um, tell them that you care about them and you want to be cons careful with them. And so when you're starting out, it's really important to start getting good reproducible results. So we talk about lower doses, but now we're moving to the advanced class, right? So once we get some experience injecting and we get a little confidence and we get a little competence in injecting, we feel like, okay, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can take this skill set and make a business out of it or you know, at least create some revenue and maybe work for somebody else or whatever you decide to do, but make a go of it, right? Because I think early on, if you don't get that confidence, you're shaken, you're worried. You're like, oh my God, I, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I don't have the right skill set. And you start questioning yourself. And even, you know, I've had nurses who've been injecting with us for over 10 years who have a complication. And the first thing they say is, I think I'm done. I don't think I want to do this anymore. I don't think I should do this anymore. You know, listen, we all have bad days. We all have bad moments. We're, we're not machines, right? And, you know, here we are working as hard as we work to do good things for people, make them look better and feel better. And then we have a complication. We make them worse. We make them bad. We drop, we get an occlusion. We get a ptosis. We, for whatever reason. That's not important. But what is important is, even very advanced, very confident people in this industry get shaken by complications like that. And it makes you question everything and people want to quit. So I know that if you get off to a bad start, you may never do this. So because I think we're you know pretty good at starting, getting people started in this industry and supporting them and helping them grow, those, that's an important message in the beginner class. And again, sort of, you know, rode my back a little bit, but you're giving, you're not giving the unlabeled dose. You're not, I said, I know, I know because they don't understand how to use, you know, 20 units in the forehead. That's maybe not the right dose for some patients who may need five or 10. But you know, at a beginning level, it's better for them to give a low dose and give more later than to give a you know, full dose and then drop the brow. Then you're like, oh my God, you know, that's terrible. So this is the advanced course, so we can talk about it. And really the main message for the advanced course is dose 
equals duration, right? You know, I mean, I hope you know that the more neurotoxin you give, the longer it lasts up to a certain point. And Allergan did some of the studies on this in the Glabella and they did, um, I think it was 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 units, you know, hyper concentrated so that they could measure the result. And they saw that when you gave a 20 unit dose, you know, which is the unlabeled dose, um, you got this standard, you know, three month, four month um, duration. Melanie Hagen, hello, good to see you. And Glow Aesthetics, thank you for joining. We're talking about the advanced use of Botox tonight, and I'm happy to have you guys chime in. If you guys, if anyone out there is watching and you're not from Massachusetts, please let us know where you're from. It's always It always gives us a kick to see where people are from. We had Australia, Brazil, South America, uh, England, or something a couple weeks ago, and it was just really fun to talk about it next, you know, tomorrow in the operating room. Did you see where those people were from? Anyway, so dose equals duration. So you, you st the study was like 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 units in the glabella. And they saw that when you went from 20 to 40, you had a significant improvement in terms of longevity. When you got up to 60, that was even better. But after that, it didn't matter because the cells and the receptors and everything were saturated, right? So, so we know that you could probably get another month out of your neurotoxin if you were going to go to 40 or 60. But, you know, it's kind of like cost prohibitive, right? Hey, Dr. Lynn, back in New York City, freshly trained from Aesthetic Mentor. Good to see you. Dr. Lin took the beginner course. So I don't know. We're talking a little bit above your head tonight. We're talking about the advanced use of neurotoxin. So, so, um, but you know, you'll get you're you're good. You'll get you'll get a lot out of it. So, so we know that we can saturate the receptors at you know forty sixty units in a small muscle, but that's not realistic. So, you know, someone going to pay triple the price for one extra month of neurotoxin? You know, probably not. Um, but the bottom line is that, hey, Brittany, good to see you. We're talking about dose equals duration and Botox and Botox dosing. Um, so, but the point is that, you know, if, if someone comes to you and says, you know, uh, I just went to Dr. XYZ down the street and, you know, my Botox only lasts two months with him. Well, if you check, I should say him or her, if you check the dosing, I'm almost certain you'll see that they underdose the patient. So you can, you know, people say, well, that drug doesn't work for you. That drug doesn't work for me. All the neurotoxins work. All the toxins work for you. It's just the dose has to be right and the person has to be skilled enough to get it into the muscle and not through the muscle, above the muscle, below the muscle, in the wrong muscle, you know, all that stuff that we have talked about in the past. Glow aesthetics, hello. Um, so in a, in a really important way, understanding dose equals duration is great for the advanced level because if you have those patients where, you know, you are getting good, results, but you want better results, you can try upping the dose, but realize that, you know, it's going to cost the patient more money and just disclose that with them. Like, I know I've been using 20 units there, but, and I know it's only lasting two and a half months for you, but if you want to go three and a half months to get, you know, more out of it, 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 I can give you more units. It will just cost a little more, but it may be worth it for you. And also don't forget that the longer you keep that muscle stable or, you know, immobile is a better word, um, the faster it atrophies and the more it atrophies, the better, because now that same dose is actually a bigger dose because you're dealing with an atrophic muscle mass, right? You're dealing with a shrinking muscle. So you've got the same dose going into a shrinking muscle. So in effect, you're giving more. So in effect, that should last longer. Your dose is getting bigger per muscle, you know, millimeter or whatever you want, however you want to measure it, uh, muscle strength. So, so stick with doses that work. And if you're finding that the duration is not what you want, increase the dose. Okay, that being said, so let's talk about some of those funny areas 
Um, has anyone ever treated a jelly roll? What is a jelly roll? The, you know, the hypertrophy of the orbicularis oculi muscle. When some people smile, I don't really have one. When some people smile, they get this really thick band right here. And even happens in young people. It's just sort of a very, very strong, um, a very strong uh, orbicularis oculi muscle. So you can put product right there, a couple units of Botox or whatever neurotoxin you like right there. And that works. Remember, anytime we go outside of the glabella of the forehead or the uh, crow's feet with uh, Botox, we're off-label. And anytime we go out of the glabella with the other three neurotoxins, we're off-label. So just so you understand, these are all you know, relatively commonly treated areas, but technically we're off-label, but it doesn't really matter as long as the physician you're working with, you know, sort of agrees that this is a reasonable use for that product because it is an FDA-approved product. Larissa Cole, I know you. You trained with us yesterday. Larissa was one of our... I've got to wait until Larissa. Larissa was one of our star participants yesterday in our cadaver course. And Larissa, if you want to say anything... Uh, to the audience about your experience in the class, I'm more than happy to have you do that. Also, if any of you are um, watching this from anywhere outside of Massachusetts, I know Larissa's in New Hampshire, please let us know because it's always fun for everyone to see where people are coming from or calling from or watching from. So um, Larissa's kind of a mid-level injector, so we can, talk, let her, we can let her into this one so she can uh, understand about advanced techniques. So um, we know we can push a dose. We know we can do it safely because we're advanced injectors and we know how to handle higher dose and we know where we can put it to prevent some of the complications like ptosis that we might see, asymmetry, that sort of stuff. Um, another area that we like to treat that, you know, is off-label is called the bunny lines, right? The nasalis muscle. And, you know, usually people who have strong bunny lines often have a strong procerus. And we've seen... A couple of people recently that are really completely Procerus dominant. So when they make a mad face, they don't get 11s at all. It all comes straight down. It all comes, and they start getting those horizontal lines across their nose. And for some reason, those people usually have really strong bunny lines here. So you can treat the nasalis with, you know, I, I usually start with two and a half units on each side. I've gone as high as seven and a half on certain people. Um, but it's a very easy, simple, safe injection. But what's the one thing you have to watch out for, right? the levator labii superioris or nasia, the LSAN muscle, right? Which is a weak elevator of your medial lip. And if you hit that by accident, when you smile, this side of your lip doesn't go up, so your teeth don't show. If you hit both sides when you smile, you don't see any teeth. And that's not a good look for most people because when most people smile, they want to see some teeth. However, sometimes when people smile, you see too much of their teeth and you actually see their gums, which is not often terribly attractive often called a gummy smile. So you can treat that by treating the levator purposefully or intentionally, I think is a better word, uh, so that when they smile, you decrease the excursion of the upper lip and they don't show their gums so much. Uh, but most times you don't want to do that and people certainly don't have a gummy smile. So when you're treating the levator, I'm sorry, when you're treating the nasalis, stay on the nose. It's the only muscle I treat with a person animating. So when a person's animating, it kind of pulls you up off the levator, which is right here at the junction between the nasal bones and the maxilla kind of right in this groove and it kind of inserts right here in the lip. So when you smile, it kind of pulls your lip up. So be careful there, but you know, it's, as long as you're away from the elevator, you're safe. The cadaver course was amazing. Well, thank you, Larissa. You were an amazing student and we appreciate you being there and hopefully it's trained you. Maryland's calling. Maryland. I wonder if that's Grace. No, it couldn't be Grace. Uh, gummy Smiley. Gummy Amiley. I guess they meant Smiley. Um, it was a pleasure teaching you. You were an excellent student. Uh, I'm looking forward to taking the cadaver class in Connecticut in May. 
Yes, Jasmine. Yes, yes. You are going to have your socks turned inside out on that one. It's really, it gets better. Every time I teach it, I think it gets better because I learn more about how to teach them and I can sort of see what like resonates with students and what doesn't. And yesterday was the first class, Lewis, I, I was just saying this before, that I actually never finished my PowerPoint presentation. It's never happened before. And even after, I'm supposed to be done by lunch. And even after lunch, I came back and I was still talking some more and I still never finished it. It's 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 still up in an unfinished fashion, and it's like a little disturbing to me. But it wasn't really disturbing because we had such an interactive class, and you guys really asked a lot of great questions, and it really got you know it stimulated some great discussions. Um, if you have any questions about anything regarding Botox or neurotoxins or just let it, just um, ask the question. Maddie will write it down, and I'll I'll address it as we go along. Um, one of the areas that I see a lot of problems with neurotoxin is the lower face lower third of the face, right? But people are treating masseter, DAO, mentalis, right? And I think one of the things that I see happen a lot is people miss and they hit the DLI, the depressor labii inferioris. Hey, Kate, wedding coming soon. The most beautiful bride. She's just always posting wedding stuff. I've never seen such an amazing thing. But anyway, the DLI is the muscle that lowers your lip when you smile. So when you smile, your lower lip gets pulled down so you can see your teeth. If you, let's say you hit the DLI on this side, when you smile, it looks like that. Everyone thinks this is the bad side. No, it's this side because it's not depressing. It's the depressor labii inferioris. So if you're treating the, the DAO to raise the corner of the mouth and you go a little high, or you're treating the mentalis and you go a little lateral, you're right in the DLI and people have a smile that looks like this. It often happens when people treat themselves. I've seen that too. Do you use Dysport lower face? Um, I'm mostly a Botox guy. Um, I only use Dysport Zium and Juvo uh, upon request um, by you know patients or staff or whomever. Um, some people prefer other neurotoxins. I have them all, um, but I just always go to the Botox just because I know it best and I've used it for the longest and you know I and I, I can use it predictably in a way that I can, you know, get good results. So um, I stick with what I know. I stick with what's worked for me. How do you like Juvel? Um, I think it's okay. I, listen, I think all, I've had a whole, I've had a number of these sessions on neurotoxins, right? And if you think about it, all four neurotoxins, Juvel, Dysportzium, and Botox, the active ingredient, the part of the molecule that does the work, the 150 kilodalton nucleus, is exactly the same in all of the toxins, right? It's exactly the same. So if all four toxins have exactly the same component that makes it work, the 150 kilodalton chain that breaks up into a, you know, 50 to 100 kilodalton unit and the short one cleaves the, 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 the snare proteins, how different can they be, right? They, they really can't be. They have accessory proteins that are different on each molecule, and one of them has no accessory proteins, which is zeamin. But when you reconstitute the product, the 150 kilodalt molecule and the complexing proteins dissociate, and they don't get into the nerve. So, so basically, the 150 kilodalt nucleus is getting into the nerve at all, with all four of these neurotoxins, and it's exactly 100% the same. So how different can they be? And it really, they can't be very different. And what is different is us, right? 
how we dilute it, how we mix it, how we inject it, where we inject it. Well, you know, all these things go into it and that's what makes it different. It's really not the neurotoxins because they're the same, right? The, the part that works is all the same and it's a kind of a, you know, each of the companies is gonna say, oh, ours lasts longer, ours starts earlier, ours doesn't do this, ours doesn't spread, ours does spread, you know, all this stuff. It, it, it's not the neurotoxin, I'm telling you. It just doesn't make any sense. So they're all good, they all work, they're all different in terms of pricing, the molecular structure of the complex and proteins is different, all that stuff's different, but you know, we'll take your choice, it doesn't matter to me. Um, if you guys are from outside of Massachusetts, let us know. I'm always interested in seeing people from far away. So. When people are injecting the chin, you gotta really know the anatomy because not only are there are the muscles close together, but they're overlapping, right? So if you go to the if you go too deep, if you're trying to hit the masseter and you go too too deep, you got the buccinator right behind it and the resorius right behind it. So if you don't know that you have to inject the masseter low and you go too high and too deep, you're gonna prevent you're gonna interfere with the patient's buccinator or resorius and their face and their smile is gonna be really funny. So that's kind of the things you learn in cadaver class because you can actually peel the masseter up and you can see the resorius, you can see the buck center behind it, you can see the interdigitation between the DLI and the DAO, you can sort of see all this right in front of you. And you're like, oh my God, like I didn't even know that, so I'm probably creating some of these problems without even knowing it. So when you're injecting the DAO, the depressor angular is such a triangular muscle, the lower you go, the easier it gets to hit because it gets wider, but also it gets you away from the DLI. So the DAO should always be injected low and lateral. The mentalis should always be injected low and medial because the DLI is right next to it. The masseter should always be injected over the bony prominence. If you're above the, the mandible, if you're above that angle of the mandible, you're in the buccinator of resorius territory and you're gonna have a problem. Also, when you inject the masseter, most people's masseters are pretty big because you're constantly chewing and some people grind your teeth at night and you get this masseter hypertrophy. You've got to inject the superficial and the deep head. So you have to go in, you know, fairly deep and then you start injecting, you know, kind of as you're pulling out. So you get, uh, how many units do you usually put in the temporalis? Yeah, 10 or 20 is, is a good dose. I usually don't inject the temporalis personally. I think that's really more for like TMJ issues. And I find just getting a really good treatment of the masseter, which, I'll use 20, 30 units in each side, you know, in a big masseter, particularly the first time I'm doing it in a man, even more, maybe 40, you know, it just depends on the size of the muscle, just like every other muscle that you inject. Um, but in the masseter, as I was saying, if you don't inject the deep head uh, and stay superficial, when the patient bites down, it'll still be like a walnut there. So you've got to go like deep to superficial and spread it out. Or I usually do three or four different injection points, stay low, right? Really key points to know. Um, what else? Uh, people are using it f uh, as like a mini tox for you know treating the skin with like the little uh, what's that I can't remember the name of that device where it has these little um, aqua gold that kind of thing where people are using small doses micro doses of neurotoxin to get a smoother yeah I'm going to talk about neck treatments you're absolutely right I can talk about that right now I've got it on my list um, so they're using aqua gold you know or, or some micro some people are micro needling it into the skin some people are using tiny little needles to put it in. Um, it works, it smooths the skin, makes the pore size better. It's kind of an expensive facial, I think, but, but it does work. Um, people asked about neck, right? You, I think you will see an on-label, hello, Heather, we need you to take over sometime soon. You've been away from us for too long. 
we're talking about the 20th anniversary of Botox Cosmetic and how we start our injectors at small doses. And as we get into the more advanced courses, we talk about how dose equals duration. And we're talking about some of the pearls of injecting in some of these troublesome areas. And someone just asked about neck. I think I'm predicting that you will see an on-label indication for platysmal bands and masseter before the year is up. Um, that was one of my original predictions, I believe. So, so yeah, the platysmal bands and those horizontal necklines. We just treated someone, my wife, Julie, last week. And um, we platysmal bands, believe it or not, are actually pretty easy because they kind of hang down if you grab them between your finger and just inject, you know, because as... You know, when you pull the skin like this, you're not just pulling skin, but you're also pulling platysma. It's very, very thin. The skin's thin, the muscle's thin. So you don't have to go deep at all. In fact, you shouldn't because you'll go right through the muscle. But if you put it between your fingers and just go through the skin, you know, quarter of the way, halfway with the needle, with a half inch needle, you'll be right in the middle of the muscle. And I usually do, you know, I usually spread them out a couple centimeters apart. I usually do five inject units per site. So I'm usually doing 20, 25 units, whatever the length of the, you know, the muscle requires. Um, obviously the more you do, the better, um, dose equals duration, but on those horizontal bands, we're going, um, we're doing intradermal or, you know, really superficial injections all the way across. And it was interesting because Julie was doing Pilates the other day. I don't know if you even know this. She was doing Pilates and she was back on the reformer, I think it's called. And then they said, okay, get up, you know? And she was like, she couldn't pull her head up because she had so much Botox in her neck that she couldn't pull her neck up. And I said, but that does, I mean, it's the sternocleidomastoid muscles that affect your neck flexion. But I guess like just the whole, she just felt really weak in her neck. I said, that's good because it really makes you use your core. You're not there to build up your neck muscles. You're there to build up your core muscles. So maybe that's a new treatment for Pilates. You should like get neurotoxin in your neck to force you to have stronger core muscles. <laughs> I think it's great. Uh, where are you guys from? Anybody from far away? Give me all the Botox. Heather, you got it all going on, girl. You don't need it anymore. You're amazing and beautiful and wonderful. So um, so I hope that was, that answered your questions about neck. If, you, if I haven't answered that, just um, re, re-ask it in a different way or ask me again. Hyperhidrosis. I think this is one of the most undertreated but most needed things that we don't treat. Um, hyperhidrosis, not just axilla, but palm and soles of the feet. I had a once had a pole dancer who had like really sweaty feet and she couldn't do her job because her feet kept slipping off the pole and her hands kind of were slipping as well. So we were, it was the first time I'd ever treated palms and soles, um, but it works. It requires lots of product, but it lasts for a long, long time. Like in the axilla, you know, you start seeing results in two days and it can last eight months and people will pay, you know, I mean, you're using, I'm starting with 50 units on each side going up to 75 or sometimes in man, even a hundred units on each side. But you know, what's that worth to you not to be sweating through your shirt and having odor and, you know, changing your shirt two or three times a day. How many units do you give them the temper? Yeah, I was saying, I was saying 10, 20, but I don't treat the temporalis much because I, I just really stick with the masseter. I don't really treat TMJ. Uh, people who do probably use that amount. And I think it really just depends on how active the muscle is and how severe their, 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 um, Grinding is, that sort of stuff. Um, okay, good. I got your answer. Okay, I answered your question. Um, Venezuela. Write that one down. We're going to talk about that one tomorrow. So Venezuela is a little bit ahead of us. They're, it's a little earlier for you there because you're a little bit west of us. How does Botox works on the sweat glands? It deactivates them because they're, you know, there are little muscles in the sweat glands that have to be uh, contracted um, 
put, put to put the sweat out to make the gland contract. So it just paralyzes them like it does anything else, um, and just makes you unable to sweat. How good is that? How good is that? Um, and it works very nicely. But you just have to stay at the level of the sweat gland, which for most people they're intradermal, so you got to stay really close to the surface. Can you re-inject re Botox in less than three? Yeah, yeah. If the treatment wasn't effective, it means you didn't give enough, right? Is that? I think that's kind of what you're talking about. But there's none of the neuro, you can't ever say about any of the neurotoxins, they don't work. They all work and they all work well, but you have to do it right. And you have to give the right dose and put it in the right muscle at the right depth, um, use the right dilution. All these things have to be right. It's not the neurotoxin, it's the injector that makes it go wrong. Okay, because these, these products have been around for a long time and they always work. Unless you develop antibodies to the complexing proteins, which is pretty rare. Like in my, in my whole career, if this is my 31st year, I think I might have seen five. And we inject neurotoxin, mostly Botox, almost every day. So, you know, it's, it's out there, but I wouldn't worry about it. Um, so, yeah, so if you inject a patient and you see them back in two weeks and they need more, give them more. Like, yeah, because, you know, you haven't done it. And people were reluctant to do it because they thought it might cause tachyphylaxis or they might need more. It might cause the formation of these antibodies, these, these you know, antibodies against the complexing proteins. But it hasn't proven to be, to be true. So, listen, just the patient's paid for it. Treat them. Get rid of the, the lines and wrinkles because if you don't, they'll go to someone else and you'll lose them. So, you know, there's no reason not to treat them. you got to treat to complete. And next time they come in, say, well, remember last time we had to do it in two steps. Let's just do a bigger dose this time, right? And if a patient doesn't have enough money, if their budget doesn't permit them to have a complete treatment, then don't do it. You know, say, well, you know what? Just come back when you've got enough to do a complete treatment because I don't want you to waste your money because if you don't do a complete treatment, it's not going to last for, you know, more than a few weeks or whatever. And that doesn't make any sense. So just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Um, brow lifting. I can't tell you how many times I see people's brows, you know, just are not, that are being done correctly. People are just not understanding that you've got four sets of muscles pulling down on the brows and only one little muscle, two, well, two, right? The, the frontalis muscle, one set pulling up and you've got four sets pulling down. So, and the frontalis is particularly sensitive to neurotoxin. You know, when our cadaver dissections, we often see the frontalis muscles like barely existent. Like we see just, it's so thin. We had a cadaver yesterday. I'm not even really sure the patient had a frontalis. I mean, we, we were like, oh, well, you can see the fibers there. And Larissa, Larissa who was, on, was in the class yesterday, we were like, yeah, there's some fibers there, but we picked it up and it was almost transparent. Like, so some people have very, 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 very thin you know, frontalis muscles, and you have to recognize that. It's very sensitive. So it's always good to under-treat the elevator, and it's always important to over-treat or fully treat the depressors, right? Because if you don't, you're, you're not going to have the results you want. So if we're looking to do brow lifting, we have to be very light on the frontalis if we treat it at all. And if we do, we want to stay central, right? We want to stay central because we want that lateral frontalis function to still be intact. We want it to work. And once we've done that, we also want to release the depressors and particularly the lateral orbicularis depressors. Because, you know, in the lateral orbicularis, when you wink or forcefully close your eye, you see, look how far my lid comes down. I mean, sorry, my brow comes down. Like, like probably five, six millimeters. It really comes down. So if I inject neurotoxin here and weaken that and my elevators are intact, I'm going to get a nice elevation of my brow. So that's a nice brow lift for you. So I would routinely treat the lateral brow in patients. And I get, you know, I don't know, two, three millimeters 
of lateral brow elevation. So their eye looks, you know, a little better, a little more youthful. And it's great. It's, it, you know, five units, you know, seven units, whatever it is, total um, is, is, is enough to make the patient happy usually. I mean, if they need surgery, they need surgery. If they need filler, if they need energy-based treatment, yes. But as a routine part of my neurotoxin treatments for most patients who are, you know, anywhere older than 40, I'm usually doing that. If I see any brow ptosis, I usually do that. I would encourage you to do it. But I think people don't understand that when you're treating these depressors, you have to 100% neutralize them. If you don't, if you inject the glabella with a weak dose and the patient has even just a little bit of motion and they start to see those 11s there, they're, they're going to be like, well, you know, I paid to get rid of these 11s and they're still there. Like, what's the deal? Um, so you have to, have to completely paralyze the, the, the glabella, you know, the, the Procerus and corrugators. And I would also treat out here um, to be sure that you get as much lift as possible. Um, and really be, be conservative on the, on the only elevator of your brow, which is your frontalis. Uh, and always stay high, right? Because you don't ever really want to be in the lower half of the frontalis because that's the part of the frontalis you need to hold your brow up. If you treat that, you're going to get brow toes. So I always stay at least from the midpoint on up. Uh, never go below it. And particularly with people who have a sort of a low forehead. So you have, they have some women who have like their hair starts down here. You really got to stay high there because don't forget that the, the neurotoxin diffuses and you might even want to hyper concentrate it in patients like that where you don't want any spread at all. Um, so those are kind of really important concepts. And I, I see even advanced injectors getting that wrong. Just not understanding the balance between the elevators and the depressors. Um, next one, hyperhidrosis. Uh, hyperhidrosis, you know, it's actually a really easy treatment. You know, there's really nothing to worry about injuring there. The only thing that I see people doing sometimes going too deep. So it's got to be intradermal where the sweat glands are. And when I go in on the axilla, it's like at a zero angle. Like my needle is almost like, almost at flush with this. Like if this is the needle, I don't go in like that and try to make a right angle turn. I go in like almost at a zero angle. So I'm intradermal. And you have to raise a bleb with every little push. And you have to do like just a tiny little bleb in each spot. And if you aren't raising a bleb, you've gone right through the skin and you're way too deep. So you have to really, and it's reasonably comfortable. Use a 30 gauge needle, 32 gauge needle. You know, you're injecting water essentially. Hello, Radiant Med Solutions. Do you find it's better to go heavier in the Proceras for a deep 11 versus heavy overall in the Globella? It depends. I think 85% of people are corrugator dominant and i think 15 percent of people are procerus dominant right so by that i mean when you tell a patient make a mad face and everything goes like this to the middle that's corrugator dominant it's all moving this way but to you know we saw i think two or three people between yesterday and today we said make a mad face and everything just went straight down like that there were no 11s but it went all straight down and you know they started getting those horizontal lines across the base of their nose so you know whatever it takes to treat that patient effectively is important. So, you know, realize that in men, you're probably using at least two times the normal dose that you would use in a woman. And for me, you know, the most common dose for a recurring patient in the glabella in a woman is probably 15 to 20 units, right? And remember, staying at those levels are important because you want to get that increased duration because as the muscle shrinking, you're, you're, the dose is essentially increasing because you're dealing with a smaller muscle mass. So you should start getting increased duration. Don't cut back on your dose. Stick with your dose because the patient's used to paying that. I'm sure they'll, they'll 
they'll enjoy the extra duration because it may, may save them, you know, a whole time, a year coming in instead of three times. They, instead of four times, they might be able to come three. So I hope that answers your question. Um, you know, the, the, the heaviness of the, of the 11s or whatever really depends on the strength of the muscle. And as you treat the glabella, you will see it's really the best place to treat. It's, it's the most commonly treated place on the face because it's right in the middle of your face. I and mean, people can live with some some crow's feet, they can live with some wrinkles on their forehead, they can wear their hair, but you've got this right in the middle of your forehead, these 11s, this angry, mad look. That is the most commonly treated area, and there are many patients who come in just for their glabella treatments, and they come in and that's it, that's all they want, and they're done. So you have to get good at treating the glabella, but you have to be more aggressive there, because again, it's a pure depressor. You have to be more aggressive there than you would elsewhere. And there's really no danger of overdosing, except, you know, obviously you don't want to get a lidtosis. So your lateral corrugator injection has to be, you know, at least a centimeter above the brow. And it has to be superficial. Because remember, when you make a manifest, you see the lateral, the tail of the corrugator is connected to the skin on the dermis. So why would you go any deeper than that? It's just through the dermis and you're in the muscle. And there isn't much muscle there. So this has to be a careful injection because if you go too deep or put too much in, you're going to get it diffusing through the septum and you're going to get an eyelidosis and you're going to wish you never did it. Um, your medial portion of the corrugator is much bigger. It's farther away from the elevator, from the levator, which is right here. So your chance of having ketosis is much less. Plus, this is where the muscle is. So your heavier dose should be more medial. Um, just be careful. Um, hello, Lizzie O'Neill. How, how are babies doing? You just had a baby and a beautiful baby. Um, so uh, hyperhidrosis, axilla, hands, feet, um, in, superficial, large doses, don't be afraid. And the last thing I wanted to talk about um, are some of these kind of unusual, hi, good to talk to you. We, we need to talk a little bit about a few things. You guys are great. We're really proud of you. Uh, they're part of our network. These three, these two NPs who for three years uh, did, well, concierge medicine mostly where they'd go to play people's homes and, and deliver the services and they still kept their day jobs. I think it was in the ER, correct me if I'm wrong, Lizzie. Uh, and then they kind of got sicker and sicker of doing it. And they finally, after three years, opened their own med spot in the Seaport District of Boston, which is like the part of the city that's just like going crazy with growth. And really, they're just in a sweet, sweet spot. They've got a beautiful spa and do great work. And, um, uh, you know, it took them three years to do that. That's, you know, like whatever you have to do to get into this industry, do it. Just get your hands up, get some experience, understand what these patients are like, understand what, what kind of results you can get, you know, hone your skills, take more classes, work for somebody else, do whatever you have to do. And then if you're, if you want to, um, go out and do something on your own, you know, there's plenty of opportunities to do that, but be prepared. Right. And also when it comes to charging money for things, charge what you're worth. If you're really good, charge a lot. If you're really not, don't. Because the more you charge, the more patients will expect. And if you can't deliver on that expectation, not going to work for you. So when you're starting out, charge an average price. You know, don't be don't be piggish about it. Just take that opportunity and that privilege of treating those patients and getting experience, understanding how to get good results. And then when you get really good, you charge more because you've earned it, you deserve it. And you know what? You can deliver on that promise. So if, so if you want to charge a lot per unit, you better get really good results. Um, because if you don't, it's, I don't want to say it's false advertising, but you know, your, your confidence may be exceeding your competence. And that's never a good thing to have happen at you. Um, 
the last thing I wanted to talk about was some of these inappropriate requests. Like, I don't know if they're inappropriate, but like people who are saying, you know, my boots don't fit me because my calves are too big. Can you inject Botox to shrink my calves? I guess you could, but then you may have to use crutches to walk around and you might have to use like huge doses. Um, uh, does MAA cover if the nurse wants to treat out of state? We're, this the, ner- the the NP has to have a license in that state. So our ner- our NPs have licenses in Connecticut and uh, Massachusetts because that's where our two schools are. Um, we will we will extend that as we start getting into other states. I think New Hampshire is next on the list in New Jersey. Um, yeah, so you can't write an order in a state unless you have a license, right, in that state. So you know it has to be the doc. I mean, like for example, in Connecticut it could be an NP, a PA, which is interesting, or an MD can write those orders. Um, in Massachusetts, just MDNP. And other people are asking, oh, you know, can you treat my shoulders? Can you reduce this? Can you reduce, can you treat my back spasms? Back? I mean, you can, but let's, let's be serious. Like, um, what would you, what would, would you tell us what is the average for pricing? It depends on the area. Like if you're in Newton, Massachusetts versus like, uh, you know, Jamaica Plain or Bill Ricca or whatever, if you're in Newport, if you're in New York City, I mean, it really depends. So I would call around and find out what the average neurotoxin price is in your time. Never, ever, ever, ever go below $10. I don't care what you do. And don't do Groupons. Don't do that because that that's a race to the bottom. Don't do any of those things. Be true to yourself. Just do it the right way. I think most nurses around here, I, I, I'm kind of guessing on this, are probably charging $12, $13, $14 a unit. I don't know, but, you know, for sure, but I have a feeling about that. But just call around and ask, you know, call five or 10 places of, of people who are kind of at the same level as you or say, hey, what's your, you know, how do you, how do you price your Botox? Some people charge by the area. Uh, I think most people charge by the unit. And then just see where they are and come in the middle. You, you don't, you don't want to be the cheapest show in town because believe me, the people that that attracts are not going to be patients you want to keep. They're not going to be patients that you're probably going to want to even treat. They're not going to be patients that are going to stay with you because if someone offers it to them for 50 cents less, they'll go there. You know, there's no loyalty. Um, and you don't want to be the most expensive because if you can't live up to that promise, then don't. If you're just an at, you're at kind of at the average point of an injector, and I personally think, I talked about this yesterday in class, um, I had a client last week asking for Botox on the lines of the lower back. Um, I just said it's lax skin. You you are 100% right. There's no muscle there. The testament dorsi muscle and deep muscles of the spine. <laughs> and it's so funny. Yeah, people don't under... I have people take patients ask me, can you fill this area with Botox, doctor, today? Today. And can you put some Botox on my cheeks to lift them? And I was like, no, you can't. I was trying to... And she didn't speak great English. I was trying to explain to her about what filler was. And she was like, asking me the same question. I just said, I don't think we should do this today. And we just kind of called it off. But, um, um, so when people are asking for these kind of crazy treatments, um, don't do them really, cause they're really not going to work and it doesn't make sense. And you'll end up charging them a lot of money and you'll be sorry you do it. So stick with, you know, with what you know and just become really good at what you do. Don't think you have to do something unusual because honestly, most people probably aren't working as hard as you are. They're probably not sitting in front of a computer or on their, on their phone watching me or watching other people right now and trying to get more knowledge. And you guys are all doing that. Um, hello, Tatiana. Uh, you've got like 12 different, like she's got 12 different email addresses and different sites. She's, I don't know how many Tatianas there are, but she's great. Um, so <clears throat> stay true to yourself, become the best injector you can be. And that just takes time. 
I don't think anyone's really a great ejector until at least two years have passed with a lot of active treatments. And it just takes time for you to understand how to get good results, to understand and see over time how those areas change and how to treat them better and become more effective, to talk to other people, to see other people's results. Um, so um, just two. Okay. It seems like you're everywhere. I can't explain it. But, um, but, and once you've invested that time, you know, it's just like, like this is my 31st year. And uh, I still think I learn stuff all the time from everybody around me. I try to, I try to. Um, so be humble, right? My wife's always telling me I'm not being humble enough, right? I'm being too, and I say, you know, I really am. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm just trying to be as honest as I possibly can because I've made all the mistakes that I've told you about tonight. Like every single thing that, that I said, oh, don't do it. I've done it. I've done it. So I know how not to do it now. And I don't want you to have to go through those pains. So I'm telling you the sweet spots. I'm telling you what I've learned as a mentor. That's what a mentor does. It's like, okay, their minds over here, their minds over here. So walk, follow this path that I've you know, work, worked out because I stepped on all those minds before and I'll guide you to safety. And that's my job. That's what I do. And I take it very seriously because it's really not about me. I'm not really talking about what I do, but it's really about keeping the industry better because you know what happens when we start getting a lot of complications and problems. You start, they start presenting them to you know, Board of Registration Nursing, Department of Public Health, Board of Registration Medicine. And these are complaint-based organizations. And when they get complaints, they're, they're required by law to investigate them. So they come in, they're trying to protect the public from us, terrible doctors, nurses, and uh, PAs, and whomever, right? They're, they're, they're out there to, to help these patients against us who are trying to hurt them, right? So, so I don't want that. I don't want that. I want to get ahead of it. I want everyone to be compliant. I want everyone to do it the right way and, and, and do it well uh, so we can keep the industry going so we can sort of advance it and do better because, you know, they've tried to stop nurses from doing this in many states, including Massachusetts with Dover and Art years ago, tried to stop all nurses from doing this. Um, Texas has done it. Rhode Island's done it. South Carolina's going through it now. Um, you know, and if they start seeing like numbers of problems, you know, blindness, necrosis, ptosis, people complaining about this, um, their, their options, you know what? Let's just shut this down. We don't need nurses doing this. So, so that, that's why I'm being so adamant about it. And I'm not being emotional about it. I'm just being honest about it. Anyway, I can't talk anymore. Um, my mouth is so dry. So be humble, be kind, do your best work, and just try to get better every day. See you next week.